Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Hi, and welcome to Sorceress, a podcast where I chat with authors and audiobook narrators about books and especially audiobooks in the urban fantasy category. If you dig wisecracking wizards, conflicted lycanthropes, antagonistic undead, and all those other things that go bump in the night and then get bumped back, you're in the right place. So make yourself comfortable, salt the doors and the windowsills, and join me, James Anderson Foster, as we get to know the creators of this fascinating genre. Okay, so this week we have another narrated story. This is Lady Gaga Must Die by author Ramey Vance, narrated for you by Cindy Kay. Enjoy. Lady Gaga Must Die The one who calls herself Lady Gaga must die. Lady Gaga must be destroyed, killed erased. Her insult is too great. Her proclamation too inordinate. Her aplomb too brazen to be ignored. Lady Gaga must die because of the claim that she, a mere mortal, is to marry the knight. She proclaims this in song and poetry, just as any hoary would do when preparing for battle. The obscenity cannot go unpunished. When the gods left, Salima had been in her corner of Janna, sitting along the bank of a river made of milk. Near where she sat was a fountain that spouted honey. She had been enjoying both, for in Janna, milk did not taste like that preferred by humans. Coaxed from cows. It was something else entirely, and something far more magnificent. So, too, was the honey not sweeter, but containing flavors that she had yet to experience on Earth. It had been a peaceful millennium, with less and less humans walking through the pearly gates she guarded. This made her daily tasks easier, and she was starting to enjoy a life of leisure. Perhaps too much. But she justified her increasingly idle existence with the simple fact that she wouldn't be here much longer. She was to marry the night, and when she did, she would join El Quam up in the stars above. But that wasn't to happen for a century. Perhaps two. For some reason, El Quam was hesitant to select a date. And in the meantime, she was to serve, as all Huris or angels did, in Janna. To be specific, she was one of the 70 virgins offered up to men and women. Janna prided itself with its inclusivity who deserved an eternity of pampering. There was so much misconception amongst living humans as to what Ahuri did. Most humans believed that her corner of heaven was an endless parade of orgies, milk, and honey. Although, that said, milk and honey were abundant, and orgies quite frequent. It also didn't help that her species' name sounded like the mortal word whore. Salima was anything but... Thank you very much. No, she was Salima Nura, Bint Aluza, Zuj Alquam, first of the Huris, warrior, steward of Janna, and the betrothed of the night. Not that most mortals understood this. But to assume her role as steward was so base was to also believe that dragons only breathed fire, ogres were stupid, and gargoyles mindless statues. All nonsense. But these, she knew, were challenges she would face on Earth. For now, she was in Janna, dreaming of the day she would become a constellation in the night sky. Then she heard it. A deafening boom, followed by the equally deafening statement, Thank you for believing in us, but it is not enough. 
We're leaving. Good luck. As soon as the last word was uttered, the river of milk soured and curdled, leaving a putrid smell so intense it burned her eyes. Trees died. Grass wilted. Flowers discarded their petals like a snake shed its skin. Even the fountain of honey crystallized, before cracking and finally crumbling. And then the unimaginable happened. The bright, ever-shining sun began to eclipse, bringing with it a roaming, all-consuming darkness. Janna was dying. The other Houris, for there was not a human soul in sight, who were closer to the impending darkness, stood their ground and let it wash over them. Their bravery soon turned into the screams of the terrified and the dying. The Houris who were farther away did not need to be told twice. They ran, away from the darkness and toward a pinprick of white light in the distance. Salima was no exception. When she reached that pinprick, which now that she was closer, she saw was more like a window, she dove through without hesitation and landed here, Earth, the worst, cheapest place of existence. But that was 13 years ago, and today is today. Salima is finally learning what it means to live in the gone god world, finally finding her place so far from Janna and from her milk and her honey and her night. When she hears Lady Gaga's challenge, when it happens, she's shopping for food in a place mortals call a grocery store. And for once, she isn't raging at the shelves that contain packaged honey and milk. Nor have any of the shopkeepers been following her around, concerned that she might pierce one of the cartons with her long nails or crush them in her vice-like grip. She is shopping just as a human would. Calm, contemplative, efficient. The loudspeakers in the store have been playing something called Top of the Pop. Not that Salima understands what any of those words mean. What is at the top of a pop? Nothing, she concludes. Once something pops, it disappears like a bubble or shrivels up to near nothing like a balloon. But these humans love their rhymes, even if they are utter nonsense. And so the humdrum of what humans call music, such a sad parody of the songs that played at the start of every Jana orgy, plays on the loudspeakers. Salima has successfully been ignoring the music. Until, that is, this Lady Gaga accosts her eardrums. It is that opening line to her insolent song that does it. I'm going to marry the night. This catches Salima's attention. This first ludicrous declaration is followed by, I'm not going to give up on my life. To Salima, a Huri who fought the Shaitan at the Battle of the Second Fall, the meaning of these words is obvious. Lady Gaga is determined to survive so that she may be successful in her quest to marry Al-Qam. And when she bellows out her third line, I'm a warrior queen, Salima sees this song for what it truly is, a challenge. Very well, Lady Gaga, Salima declares loudly right there in the grocery store. I accept your demand for battle and shall happily meet you on whatever battlefield you choose. Her rage is so complete, she crushes a two-liter carton of milk in her hands, causing the sweet white liquid to spill all over the floor and for her to be kicked out of the grocery store. Again. Just because a challenge has been accepted doesn't mean that there aren't still logistics to work out. For one thing, Salima hasn't engaged in battle since the dawn of humankind. She will have to pick an appropriate weapon, armor, and banner under which she will fight. Before, in her days at Janna, it would have been easy. 
she would simply use her magic, and all would be ready in an instant. But here in this new gone-god world, the price for using magic is steep. Life for magic, magic for life. Preparing for battle would burn at least a month from her life, maybe more. And given that her days of immortality are no more, the thought of losing so much life makes her shudder. So, she mutters to herself, a new habit she's picked up on Earth. I'll have to do it the old-fashioned way. Salima considers fashioning a mace or flail, but decides against it. Her fingernails are pointed like an eagle and sharper than any knife made by mortal hands. Besides, a battle with one such as Lady Gaga deserves the intimacy of hand-to-hand -hand combat and therefore should not be tainted by weapons. She paints her talons with crimson, the color of human blood. That, if nothing else, should strike fear in the heart of her enemy. Looking in the hole in her wall humans call a closet, she rummages through her possessions. She doesn't have much, truth be told. An assortment of cloth that weighs somewhere in the region of 600 kilos. Several thousand beads, necklaces, bracelets, and other accessories that she has gathered at places called thrift shops during her 13 years on Earth. Armor will be difficult to fashion with such meager supplies, but Salima is an expert seamstress. It only takes her three hours to fashion chainmail from her collection. Granted, this chainmail would not withstand a severe blow from a broadsword or a warhammer, but it will certainly absorb some of the damage that this Lady Gaga may dish out. She chooses not to shield her face. Should Lady Gaga be skilled or lucky enough to wound her face, Salima will wear that scar with pride, a symbol of what she sacrificed for her betrothed. She stares at her reflection on the closet door's mirror. Her natural skin color is an alluring crystal blue. Her eyes the color of a thousand suns collapsing under their own power. She is beautiful, no mistake. This is something that Salima is well aware of, but not out of arrogance. When the gods created her, they used the very definition of beauty to define her essence. She's checked these humans' dictionary and was outraged to discover they had altered the definition. Nevertheless, Salima does not wish to distract Lady Gaga with the gifts that the gods bestowed upon her. There would be no honor in such trickery. So she paints her eyes with black mascara in the style of her Egyptian counterparts, thick and heavy, covering large parts of her tantalizing skin. When she finishes, she adorns her body with strings of beads that hang from her shoulders. The armor is all the colors of the rainbow, bright and fearsome, but her face is blackened and gruesome. She stands seven feet high, her body slender and athletic. Finally, Salima constructs her banner, a flag decorated with five-pointed stars, half-crescent moons, and, of course, the black of night. These are the symbols of Alquam. She attaches the flag to the handle of her broom. Finally, a purpose for such a useless object, and holsters it onto her back so that the ensign will fly a foot above her head for all to see. With all that decided, the next order of business is determining battlegrounds. She will need to find this Lady Gaga and engage her on her home front. But what stage would be appropriate? She will need to consult with the human tavern keeper who lives down the hall. She has learned that, on Earth, human tavern keepers are also the keepers of information. Surely he will know how to find this Lady Gaga. Salima knocks on Franklin's door. A short, stubby wart with thick glasses too big for his face answers. Uh, hi, Salima, he says, not meeting her gaze. She knows, because most humans react to her in the same way, that he cannot meet her eyes because of her incomprehensible beauty. It makes him feel inadequate. And whereas this is true for most humans, Franklin has no reason to feel this way. 
Salima is a Huri, and as such, her yellow eyes that burn with the light of a thousand dying suns do not see beauty in the same way as most other creatures. Her eyes see souls, and the purer the soul, the more desirable the creature. And the soul that burns within this little man would be the envy of all humans, if only they had the ability to see it as she does. Indeed, this Franklin is so attractive that Salima might have considered taking him as a mate if she was not already betrothed to the knight. She has told this to Franklin many times, but he acts as though he does not believe her, making the same comment he always makes when confronted with this fact. Ah, uh, so I have the Brad Pitt of souls? Salima does not know who this Brad Pitt is and can only assume from the context of Franklin's statement that Pitt, too, is beautiful. Not that this matters now. Now, Salima must find Lady Gaga, whose soul is surely uglier than a squatting, defecating cyclops. Franklin, she says, lowering her head so that she is the same height as the always mortal human. I need your help. Sure. Uh, what's it this time? Another light bulb burnout? Or more trouble with the stove? My lights are functioning and the stove burns hot. No, information is what I seek. I must find someone. Ah, uh, Franklin says, his voice doubtful. Who? Lady Gaga. Come again, he says, looking at her over the rims of his glasses. Lady Gaga, Salima says, pulling out a folded poster of the woman she found stapled to the wooden makeshift walls of the construction site near her work. This woman dresses like a houri, but whose height betrays her as anything but one of my kind. Franklin takes the poster and nods. I know those exaggerated shoulder pads and glitter around her eyes seem similar to how you often dress, but... She's definitely human. At least, I'm pretty sure she's human. I mean, I've never met her, so... Human or not, I have heard her keening dirge, and now I must meet her. I don't know about meeting her, but she's having a concert tonight at the Madison. I mean, that's what the poster says. That's probably why you've heard of her. She's promoting the concert. Very well. I shall go. You can't. Why do you say so, human Franklin? Because the concert will be sold out. You won't be able to get a ticket. Ticket? Ticket, Salima cries out. Franklin ducks his gaze further, knowing what's coming. Are you saying that they would deny me entrance? How could they? I am Salima Nura, bint al-Uzza, Zuj al-Qam, from my flesh all Huris were created. From the blood drawn by my blade, the red camels of Oman were born. My rage divided the first Naznas, and the seeds of my unsung deeds gave life to the golden pillars of Irami Mad. I was born where war and love meet, and I will die in the place where death weeps. Franklin gives a slight cough, and his voice wobbles slightly as he says, That may be. But I'm pretty sure Ticketmaster doesn't care about all that. Ticketmaster? Who is this dictator? I shall... It's not a person. It's a... Salima tilts her head in confusion. Franklin tries a different tact. You can't get in, trust me. But you might be able to get a ticket from a scalper. They'll be expensive. I shall negotiate with this harrier. Harrier? What's that? Marauder, Salima says, as if that will clear up Franklin's confusion. It does not. Sighing to herself, she adds, Harrier, marauder, raider, people who claim human scalps as prizes? I see. Not what I meant. But again, my point is that there's no way you can afford it. Why not? Well, for one thing, and I'm sorry about this, I still need rent. I was kind of hoping you were here to pay me rent, actually, not... 
Salima shakes her head in frustration. This good man is right. She does owe him for her lodging, and that is a debt that must be honored above all else. She nods in agreement. Indeed, tavern keeper, you shall have your copper. Copper? Please don't pay me in pennies again. I receive my wages from my employment as guardian of the bazaar. You're a mall cop. At the first of the month, you shall be duly paid after I am. After all, I am Salima Nora. Fine, fine. But Salima, Bint al-Uza, Zuj al-Kwam, first of the Huris and master of my fate. Salima, we've been over this. Names need to be simple. Why? This mortal realm is anything but simple, is it not? Fair enough. But still, Salima, I really need you to pay your rent on time. I can't keep covering you. I wish I could, but I can't. That wouldn't be fair. Salima looks down at her body that, beneath her armor, is wrapped in fine silks woven by blind Arabian seamstresses just before the rise of the Babylonia Empire. You cover none of my flesh. Covering for you, it's an expression, and it means that I can't keep paying your rent on time and then waiting for you to pay me back later. Salima nods. Being in debt is a danger. Often when she protected the caravans as they traveled from oasis to oasis, battles would break out over some unpaid debt or other, usually over salt. Many mortals died for that white powder. You shall have your money, and soon. And going forward? She bows her head. I shall try. Thank you, Franklin says then eyeing her as she stood wrapped in a sari of red, blue, and gold beads, he asks, So, you're going to the concert dressed like that? Certainly. I am dressed for war. Franklin lifts a second confused eyebrow. Is war something that you Huris say when you mean something else? Like what? Perhaps fun? Salima gives Franklin a wicked smile. Almost oh, assuredly, for once my mission is complete, I shall laugh and dance as I never have on this mortal plane. Franklin tells Salima where Madison Square Garden is, ignoring her questions about trees, grass, and other vegetation. Once Salima is confident that she can find the place, she leaves. And as Franklin watches her go, he cannot stop the nagging feeling that he has just made a major error in telling her where to go. Salima takes to the streets, walking past the corner near her apartment building. It is her favorite part of the city. Not because it is a pretty place or even a particularly peaceful place. She likes the corner because this is where the humans gather to battle. Rap battle, to be precise. Several young boys gather, throwing rhymes at each other with progressively more heated and witty lyrics. These battles are tame compared to what she is used to. For when she traveled the Arabian Peninsula, she often wandered into oases and watched her people battle in much the same way. Oases were havens. No blood was allowed to be drawn there. But that did not mean wounds could not be inflicted. After all, the cuts that run deepest come from words, not blades. And in the zenith of her people's time, the Bedouin humans knew how to use their tongues to maim. Poetry would be recited in the bazaar. Poetry that insulted the other tribes while praising their own. And when the tribes had cut each other to the bones, they often met outside the oasis sanctuary and finished their battles with swords and spears and fists. Not that these gone-god world humans proceed in such a manner. No matter how cutting their words, they tended to end each battle with a well-deserved pat on their shoulders and a beer. Salima, girl, shouts one of the boys, an industrious fellow named Adim. He may not win all his battles, but few can deny that his tongue is swift and vicious. You gonna join us tonight? Salima smiles at the invitation. Often she battles here, losing frequently by virtue of the fact that they do not understand her references. No matter. 
In her heart, she knows that if they were privy to her knowledge, they'd brand her the victor. Salima shakes her head. Not tonight, she says. Tonight, I will need more than words to vanquish my enemy. Adim nods in approval. Straight up. Salima walks through the streets of Manhattan. As she makes her way to the garden, which possesses no plants, trees, or grass, she wonders why it is that when the gods left, they chose to close their domains as well, expelling her and all the other immortals into this drab place of existence. Humans make no sense. None. For one thing, they're constantly consumed by things that don't matter. The latest doings of their favorite thespian, the most recent insults by their elected steward, the comings and goings of their neighbors, they're so focused outside themselves that few ever take the time to reflect inward. But how can this be so? It is from the inside where truth comes. Understanding of what is within not this constant obsession with what is without. She has seen many a great human denied heaven because of their inability to see themselves for who they truly are. When a human meets Rakib and Atid, and their deeds, thoughts, and feelings are weighed for judgment, so many miss entrance by a single selfish act, jealous thought or judgmental sentiment all of which come from some obsession with the superficial outside world. All this to say that the human's code of honor rarely reflects what is right and who they are, but rather seems to be a hodgepodge of cherry-picked ideals thrown into a pot of... What's the human word for it? Ah, yes. Shit. Then they worship that pot of shit as truth. Salima shakes her head. She's getting angry again. At the humans, at the gods, but mostly at herself for falling into the same trap as so many always mortals. She must focus on her own inner self and not worry about the doings of those around her. And who is she? She is Salima Nora, Bint Al-Uza, Zuj Al-Kwam. This last phrase causes her pause. Zuj Al-Kwam literally translates into the wife of the god of night. Well, Salima may still only be the betrothed, but in the realm of the divine, the two states of being are essentially the same, save one vital difference. In one, the relationship has been consummated. In the other, consummation is a guarantee that will happen in time. In her world and by her code of honor, she is, for all intents and purposes, his wife. And then a thought strikes her as suddenly and unexpectedly as being struck by lightning. If they were husband and wife, why did he leave without so much as a goodbye? She does what she always does when this question slaps her in her thoughts. She pushes it away reminding herself that her knight must have left for a reason, a reason so important that he couldn't say goodbye. But Salima has faith that one day the gods will return, and if not they, then he, her betrothed, her lover, will return. If not to guide this lost world, then he will at least return so that he may take her with him to wherever the gods may be. That belief is more than faith. It is a certainty. Salima longs for that day, and with each passing moment of anguish and agony here on this plane of existence, her burning need for Al-Qam grows deeper. Salima lives not out of some misguided fear of death, but because she knows heaven is coming for her in the form of his star-filled arms, which shall embrace her forever. And that is why Lady Gaga's insult cannot be tolerated. A love so pure as theirs cannot be mocked by anyone, especially not a mere always mortal like this lady. So she marches on, prepared to do battle in a gardenless garden. And as she does, 
she suppresses the acorn of doubt that has taken root in her mind. Where is the honor of leaving without so much as a goodbye? Salima arrives at the garden and is surprised to see just how many people are standing outside. In big, bright letters, all around sparkling images of this diva are the words, Lady Gaga World Tour. Salima knows what this is. A challenge. Much like those done in Oasis sanctuaries of her homeland. Not only has this Lady Gaga prepared for Salima's arrival, she has also brought her tribe to witness the battle. But Salima has no tribe to sing her praise or cheer for her victory. She is alone. And just as the gravitas of being alone starts to shake her confidence, she feels a familiar hand on her shoulder. She turns to see the near-blinding light of Franklin's soul, you came? Are you here to be my tribe, human Franklin? Tavern keeper of the Brad Pitt soul? Franklin narrows his eyes in considered confusion. She knows the look. He doesn't understand what she means by tribe, and he is considering whether or not to pursue the matter further. He shakes his head, evidently choosing not to explore her meaning. Ah, uh, I just came to check up on you. I mean, you seem pretty determined, and I wanted to know what your intentions are. He pauses, and Salima takes his silence as an invitation for her to speak. I'm here to... She stops, looking at Franklin's concerned little eyes. His soul is flaring, which can mean one of two things. He is either greatly concerned for her well-being, or he worries that her intentions here at this place, this concert will clash with his own code of honor. Perhaps it is both. Franklin, unlike many of his human counterparts, does indeed possess a pure, well-defined, introspective code of honor. And if he must, he will seek to stop her. So Salima does something that breaks her own code. She lies. I'm here to celebrate this Lady Gaga with her hoary-like costumes and poetic skills. Salima does her best to imitate a human smile. Lips parsed and turned upward, eyes slightly closed, upper row of teeth exposed. On her face, this comes off more like a wolf growling than an inviting smile. But Franklin has seen Salima try to be human before, and so the little man with the golden soul is unconvinced. And, he says, emphasizing this last syllable, which Salima understands to be an invitation to continue. Salima is not one for guile or cunning. Yes, she is a seductress and a warrior, but both seduction and battle are best done honestly and openly. At least that is her experience among the milk and honey and the orgies of Janna. So if lying is not an option, perhaps there is a truth that can be shared that will obfuscate her true intentions. She searches herself for an answer that is both honest and distracting. Because, Franklin, I have been living on this earth for 13 long years, my beloved gone, my home closed to me forever, and I am lonely. More than lonely. I long for the days when I was free to dance and sing in my homeland, where concerns of my next meal did not exist and pain was something experienced only to enhance pleasure. Then, sighing, she looks up at the giant image of Lady Gaga and says, I long to be somewhere that makes sense. Salima is struck by the truth of her words. She does miss home. She does long to be carefree again, if only for a moment. And this makes sense to you? Franklin points at the concert. She nods. This place of singing and dancing does make sense to her, in fact. For when she lived in Janna, there was not a day that went by where the Horries did not recite their poetry, sing and dance. And Salima realizes with considerable dismay she hasn't danced since she arrived on Earth. 
13 years is a long time, even for one who used to be immortal. Okay, Franklin says, and Salima knows that her words worked. He believes her. I'll help you get a ticket. He scans the crowd until he sees a man in a large hoodie standing with his back to the concert. Stay here, he says as he walks toward the man. Doing as Franklin commands, Salima stands perfectly still, only allowing her eyes to swivel in their sockets as she examines Lady Gaga's tribe. She observes them as they revel and skip and sing lyrics that must come from this lady's other hymns. They're all so happy. And even though Salima knows these emotions to be fleeting, she knows that they're experiencing a little bit of Janna here and now in this place. Salima almost feels pity for them, for surely they will shed many a tear when she kills Lady Gaga. And that is what Salima intends on doing. Lady Gaga's insults will not go unanswered. Still, maybe there is... But before the potentially conciliatory thought can fully form, Salima sees something that's not right. Off to the side of the concert hall, three men are walking through a back door, a large guard in all black and an official-looking badge letting them in. All four men's souls are dark and murky, like mist over a swamp at night. Salima has protected enough caravans and seen enough evil in her vast lifetime to know that the way they walk, the expressions on their faces, and the bulges under their coats all say one thing. They do not belong. Franklin can't believe how expensive these tickets are and briefly considers only buying one. He doesn't need to go to the concert with her. He doesn't even like Lady Gaga's music. And besides, she's still behind on her rent. But then he remembers her words about trying to make sense of this gone-god world, and he wonders. If he could share her momentary joy with her, then perhaps, just perhaps, he will help ease her life here. Of course, if that leads to them going on a date, then so be it. Franklin isn't one for dating, and being with a hoary like Salima is akin to a mouse trying to date a phoenix. Still, it would be a night to remember. He hands over the ridiculous amount of cash for the tickets and goes back to Salima, only to see her walking away. Salima, he calls after her, but she ignores him, her stride determined and hurried. Salima, he says again, trotting forth to catch up with her. You, Salima says to the very large security guard at the side of the building. Those men you let in, what is their purpose here? The man grunts. I don't need to answer to some other. But before he can finish, Salima catches his gaze in hers and looks into his soul. It is filled with terrible darkness. This man is no guardian. He is not here to protect this door, to stop evil from getting in. He is the evil that needs to be stopped. That much Salima is sure of. So without hesitation, Salima strikes the man in the throat. He falls to the ground, gasping for air. What are you doing? Franklin says, reaching out a hand to her. But his fingers grasp air as she walks through the door and inside backstage entry to Madison Square Garden. Inside, Salima scans the inner bowels of the concert hall and sees what she is looking for. She's almost surprised that she has spotted the men who have entered here. Their souls are so marred that they are almost camouflaged in these darkened halls. That is why true evil only roams in the dark. Creatures like Salima cannot sense them as easily as she could someone who is good and pure, such as Franklin. A hand grabs her and she turns, nearly blinded by the light that greets her. What are you doing, Salima? Franklin asks. Squinting in the dark, she lowers herself so that she is at ear level with the good man and says, There are men here who wish to kill Lady Gaga. 
The irony is not lost on Salima. These men are here to do exactly what she is here to do. But there is a key difference. They use guile and shadows to achieve their goal. Salima will look Lady Gaga in the eyes when she does what must be done. Honor. That's the difference between them. How do you know? Franklin whispers, looking around, trying to see what she sees. Franklin, I know evil like I know good. She touches his heart, and he knows that she is referring to his soul. Again. He nods and says, I don't know if good and evil are so well-defined here on Earth. There are shades of gray, and... And then Franklin sees what Salima sees. Two men standing in the theater rafters, one of them holding a gun. Holy shit, we have to warn someone. Why? Salima asks. So that we can stop them. Salima gives the good man a puzzled look. But I am here. And what, you're going to stop them all by yourself? The puzzled look turns into pure confusion. Of course, human Franklin, for I am Salima Nora, bint al-Uza, Zuj al-Qam. She pauses, expecting Franklin to cut her off, but he doesn't. For once, he's actually listening to her name. Emboldened, she says, from my flesh, all Huris were created. From the blood drawn by my blade, the red camels of Oman were born. My rage has divided the first Nasnas, and the seeds of my unsung deeds have given life to the golden pillars of Iramimad. I was born where war and love meet, and I will die in the place where death weeps. Does death weep here? Franklin asks. That is a good question. A question worthy of the divine. And Salima likes this good man all the more for asking it. She looks around and smiles. No, dear Franklin, death does not weep here. But that is not to say that death is not here. She is. And she is hungry. With agility that would shame a mountain cat and grace that would humiliate a gazelle, Salima climbs up the rafters and leaps toward the evil men. As she gets closer, she sees the scars on their souls more clearly. They are men who believe that their actions serve a higher purpose. What that purpose is, Salima cannot tell, but she has been present at enough of Rakid Nabil hearings to know that most likely these men do not understand the purpose they serve. They merely believe the lies fed to them, seeing their deeds as worthy when, in truth, their deeds are anything but. She also sees blemishes of stubbornness and determination. They will not be dissuaded. Very well. Neither will Salima. The closer of the men, perhaps sensing her approach, perhaps being guided by some force of evil, unexpectedly turns toward her, pistol in hand. He fires, and Salima, possessing both speed and experience, leaps over the bullet as it flies under her, harming one of the lights behind her. Guns, she thinks, as she grabs the pistol and bends the spout from which the lead flies as easily as if it were rubber. Humans and their guns. They make killing too easy. Killing should never be easy. She pulls the first man into her, then, with a strength far greater than her frame should allow, grabs the second man so that her arms are around both of them as if she were their mother, embracing them and escorting them from the grocery store before they pull more treats from the shelves. Then she squeezes. Tight. Burning time, she whispers. Death should be intimate, the killer knowing her prey. Before you breathe your last, I shall know you, and you shall know me. The two men look up at her, fear chasing away reason, and as Salima burns her time, uses her magic, she begins to absorb them into her. Fear becomes hopelessness, and as they continue to fade, 
hopelessness becomes acceptance, and then finally, peace. She has consumed them, ending their life by combining their essence with her own. Satisfied that she has done well, she looks down at Franklin, wishing to give him what the humans call a thumbs up. But looking down, she sees that her celebrations are premature, for Franklin is in his own intimate embrace with a third killer. Salima drops from the rafters to the ground and moves toward the two men. No closer, says the killer, his pistol aimed at Franklin's head. Not one step closer. Salima stops. The killer is nervous, his soul swirling in turmoil inside his being, betraying confusion and desperation. Confusion is good. Confusion is a boon that will help her win this battle. But desperation? That is dangerous, especially because all he needs to do is move his finger and he will end Franklin's life, golden soul or no. So obeying his words, Salima does not move. But moving and speaking are two different things. Tell me, human, she mutters, what is your purpose here? He does not speak, looking around for, what, his compatriots? An escape? A way to complete his mission? Salima is not sure. Why are you here, she repeats, her voice uncompromising in her demands to know. Shut up. Shut the f- Silence, Salima says, her eyes flaring, their colors so intense that it chases away the dark. She is burning time, using a few minutes of her life to force this killer to answer, and to answer honestly. At first, his voice is hesitant, but as he speaks, he becomes more resolute. They, they are the reason the gods left, and we're here to show these sinners the error of their ways, teach them... By killing them? By creating chaos. And what will the chaos teach them? He starts to answer, the way he has been programmed to answer, but Salima's magic compels him to be honest with her and with himself. It will, it will teach them. His eyes lose all expression as the truth comes out of him. Nothing, he finally says. It will teach them nothing. It always amazes Salima how humans can lie to themselves, and how the simpler the truth, the easier it is for them to deny it to themselves. Using his momentary desolation, Salima leaps forward. There's a bang, and before there can be another one, she grabs the second pistol. But instead of breaking it like she did the last, she turns it on the killer and forces him to absorb his tool of death. Then she absorbs him like she did the other two. That was satisfying, she says, breathing hard from the thrill of battle and the satisfying meal of sullied souls. Turning to Franklin, she sees that the bullet spouted from the killer's gun had struck him. His soul is slowly leaving his body, like a flame rising from a candle wick. Placing her hand on his wound, Salima burns magic for a third time this day, this time sacrificing years of life to repair the wound and breathe new life into Franklin. With a cough, Franklin comes to life and sits up. What, what happened? You were dying. Now you are not. Salima says. How? But Salima does not need to answer for Franklin to understand. How long? He whispers. A week for each of the killers, and 30 months for you, Salima says. Oh, Salima, I'm so sorry. He came out of nowhere and... And nothing, human Franklin... In a world so full of lost souls, I couldn't bear losing yours. But as the words leave her lips, she knows that while this is her truth, it is not her whole truth. 
The whole truth is that Alquam left her. Left her without saying goodbye, without any attempts at explaining why or how to survive in this world. This was something he did because he was a careless god, unfeeling to her struggles. Franklin would never do such an uncaring thing. She also knows that, much like this last killer, her reasons for being here are confused and incomplete. She should not... But before this last thought could be completed, a man wearing a headset yells, You, stop making out with your boyfriend and get over here. We need all the dancers on stage now. He gestures for her to hurry. Salima stands, helping Franklin to his feet. It seems I will get to meet this Lady Gaga after all. He smiles. Isn't that what you wanted? Very much so, she says. But for what purpose, I'm no longer sure. I guess I will have to decide when I meet her. And with that, Salima, the first of the Huris and the one once engaged to be married to the night, follows the man with the headset to finally dance again. The End And as always, a very special shout-out to our Patreon patrons. There's C. Stephen Manley, Colleen O'Malley-Jackson, Mike Johnson, Audiobooks After Dark, Zachary McElroy, and Dogan Foster. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to lend your support and get your name mentioned at the end of an episode like this, all you have to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash sorceress and sign up to support us at the wisecracking wizarding level or higher. Thank you so much. And that's it for this time. Thanks for dropping by. We really hope you enjoyed it and will come back and see us again. You can find Sorceress on iTunes, Stitcher, and our website, Sorceress. That's S-O-R-C-E-R-O dot U-S. And you can find me at jamesnarrates.com, where you'll find a list of audiobooks, demos, and all the usual stuff. If you're enjoying Sorceress, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, and if you're really enjoying it, it'd be mighty kind of you to drop a buck or two in the kitty. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com forward slash sorceress, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash jamesnarrates. Any support, no matter how small, is greatly appreciated, and it'll help us keep on keeping on. So until next time, when things go bump in the night, remember to bump back.